This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Welcome to the Inner Source Healing Podcast, the program about healing from toxic abuse. My name is Deborah Ashway. I am a licensed clinical mental health therapist and also a licensed clinical addiction specialist. But I have also been where you are now and have experienced the devastating effects of toxic abuse. It has been a long journey through the path of healing, but when we finally awaken from the trance that is so easy to fall into around toxic people, life can be absolutely amazing. It's like you can finally breathe and live and experience life in full, vivid, extraordinary color. And I want to help people get there by healing from the dependency, the codependency, the trauma bonding, and the abuse. The healing process brings us through those long-standing false perceptions that held us back from experiencing a more fulfilling and meaningful life. I'm really excited about my guest today, Brooke Braylove, who is an LCSWC psychotherapist, sex therapist, certified daring way facilitator, specializes in treating adults with all kinds of things, including relationship challenges. She has over 20 years experience and Brooke works with survivors of toxic relationships using a technique that I am very interested in learning more about. It's called accelerated resolution therapy or ART. Thank you for joining us, Brooke. Thank you so much for having me. First, before we get into the uh, accelerated resolution therapy, can you share with me a little bit about your background and how you became interested in working with survivors of toxic abuse? So I um, got my master's degree in social work. And soon after, I uh, worked in a domestic violence support center So I really helped women kind of heal from the cycle of abuse. And that's when I first started to be interested in, you know, all kinds of toxic relationships, uh, family relationships, romantic relationships, and just became really fascinated the ways in which abuse shows up, not in a physical way, and that it becomes so challenging to kind of help people see that that kind of behavior, that kind of treatment is not okay. When a lot of the people involved in these kinds of relationships grew up in homes where they saw that over and over again. So I'm really interested in breaking the cycle of violence and really teaching people how to empower themselves and break intergenerational trauma and toxicity. Excellent. Yes. That is so, that is so true that it does show up and you say in non-physical ways, 
I actually think that it ends up showing up in physical ways ultimately, but yes, in the body. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. But what are some of the most common patterns that you see in survivors of toxic abuse or in people who have experienced toxic abuse? Yeah, well, I think it's so important to understand that we can't blame people for continuing to do what they know how to do. Um, so I think the repetition is, is painful to watch as a therapist, but it's also really understandable. And so I'm really interested in looking at the way the brain processes trauma and keeps people stuck in trauma since the brain is like, oh, we know this, this is familiar. This isn't scary. It's unpleasant but it's familiar. So the patterns that I see are really about how people often have a a very toxic parent and they may not even know that until they're much, much older and then begin to look at and, and talk to a therapist about, you know, and, and sort of say, Oh, that's not normal. That's not something that all mothers do. And again, I'm not trying to make people feel badly about their childhoods, but we want them to be able to understand that some of the treatment that they've had is really manipulative and boundaryless. And, um, you know, I think the damage that I see that is the worst, I would say, is a narcissistic parent or a borderline parent. Um, because it's almost like they do a number on their children. Their children grow up with so much self-doubt and they be, they really learn to question their own realities, right? The gaslighting is just so damaging over and over and over again. And so we're going to see those people choose partners who do the exact same kind of behavior. And so I think the healing that I'm starting to see that is the most dramatic is really coming from changing the body and the brain. I'm a talk therapist. I love talk therapy. I truly believe that people need to tell their stories. They need to be witnessed. They need to be seen. And there are limitations to that model. And specifically when you're talking about patterns that are stuck and repeated, something like accelerated resolution therapy or EMDR, I think are really what's necessary because you have to get at the body and the brain, not just feelings. Exactly. Exactly. I use, I use EMDR, but I don't know anything about accelerated resolution therapy. Can you explain the basics of that and how it's used to treat trauma, PTSD, CPTSD? Yeah, of course. So art is, um, and you can call it ART or art. Um, it is a treatment modality. It's that's very brief. It's only one to five sessions And it's a modality that uses rapid eye movement and voluntary image replacement to change the way the body stores traumatic images and sensations. So it has a very clear protocol 
It uses a lot of metaphors and kind of play on words. It's a very creative project. But basically, the the gist is that we can help people get rid of those sensations that are associated with a trauma, a trigger, and we can get rid of the flashbacks. We can get rid of the images. We can take all the pain out of those images. And sometimes they can literally be erased completely. Not the knowledge. Art In art, we say, keep the knowledge, lose the pain. It isn't hypnosis. You are in full control every during every minute of every session. And that's why we, we replace it with voluntary images. And um, it's the most miraculous thing I've ever seen. I truly now don't believe there's anything art can't help with. Um, but it's, you know, I think specifically known for um, trauma, PTSD, chronic pain, chronic illness, uh, um, domestic violence, sexual assault, and depression, anxiety, relationship issues. I actually helped a woman who had spent her entire, you know, 50 years, every time she looked in a mirror, telling herself incredibly negative things every day of her life. And we did a one session of art, a 60 minute session. And that was three months ago. And not once has she looked in the mirror and had a negative thought about herself. So you're really talking about things on every level. I've worked with people who lost a loved one. And of course, we can never change the facts of that. But I worked with a woman a couple of weeks ago who really the way her brother died was just so hard for her to sit with. So what we did, we had her brain come up with another way, a way where she could say goodbye and wish him well and hear, you know, from him that he was ready to go. And the brain doesn't need it to be factually true for it to hold on to that hope. And that then is what gets stored in the brain. So she can tell you the facts of what happened to her brother, but she is not, she does not have an emotionally triggered response, nor is she upset by whatever images now are associated with it. It's really magic. And people, I mean, they, they call Lainey has a book and it's called too good to be true. And honestly, that's the hardest thing is people hear it and they think that's got to be a bunch of crap because that sounds too good to be true. And all I can say is this is why I have testimonials on my website, because you have to hear from the people who've done it. And I've done it. That's how I got started. I had a traumatic breakup and no matter what I did, I could not kind of get through it and heal. I did two art sessions and I, you know, was able to move forward in my life. Wow. That that's interesting. I mean, I kind of already think that about EMDR. I feel like I just, you know, witnessing clients, but it doesn't, it usually takes more than, a, you know, a few sessions, but just to see the transformation, but how does this work and how does it differ from EMDR? Yeah. So again, there are a lot of similarities. So 
you probably know a lot that the we basically the bilateral eye movements get the left and the right brain talking to each other and the movements themselves are very calming it, it's not uncommon actually that someone can nod off a little bit at some point in the session because they become so calm i mean they could have been having a panic attack at the beginning of the session and a few minutes later their eyes are getting heavy because it's that relaxing but you know the eye movements we think replicate rem sleep and rem sleep is where memory gets consolidated in the brain. And so we're basically taking that important kind of moment um, in your sleep cycle and we're replicating that. And then we're asking the brain to let go of some something that's really hard and painful and attached to something else. So that's sort of the mechanism, right? And the way art and EMDR differ, there are just a few things. One is, again, it is a briefer treatment. We really don't see the need to see people for more than one to five sessions per issue. So, you know, um, if they're working on not getting triggered by their ex-husband every time he texts, that would be sort of one issue. Um, but sometimes if someone has like multiple uh, assaults or something, you can actually do those all at once because they sort of have the same theme. Um, but so it's uh, fewer sessions. The other thing is that while EMDR is somewhat unscripted, I mean, of course you have a protocol, but you you do really go where the client goes, right? And you kind of follow them. Art is, is really clear steps and we do the same steps every time. Um, so it's a, a little bit more maybe just predictable in that we're going to say the exact same things over and over go and always go in the same order. Um, the other thing that we usually talk about um, in terms of sort of a difference is that you really, well, I, I wouldn't say this is much of a difference as you probably see this, but that we have to have the motivation. So if you are not motivated to change, uh, art really, it, you, you're going to be in your own way. And so I do find that there are people who um, are really afraid to let go, specifically around chronic illness, uh, they can feel like this is part of their identity and it would be really terrifying to give that up. Um, so that can be a little more challenging and we may need to do a little talking in between the sessions or ask that person to work through some of that with their, you know, individual talk therapist before starting art. Um, but I think it's, it really works for most people. It does not work for everyone because I don't believe that's you know, that, that would just not be true. But um, the the statistic is that it's 70% effective from the research. In my experience, I would say mine is much closer to 90%. Um, and it's, it's just remarkable. And, um, you know, people can literally change from full-blown panic attack, having trouble breathing, sweaty palms to, you know, 60 to 90 seconds later, as they're imagining this, the way they want to remember what happened 
and they are smiling. And I'm sure, again, you see all this in what you do. You see their whole body just change and relax. And I don't know about you, but that is truly priceless for me as a, as a clinician. And it is so satisfying. And again, I love long-term talk therapy, but it's a different kind of satisfaction. Right. And, and this is, you know, in the moment seeing them change and, um, it's, it's literally beautiful. Yeah, I do. I get, I love that. I can see it's almost like the aura or their whole face or everything just relaxes. Everything changes Mm -hmm. right in that moment. Um, how does it work with like people who have, who are either in a um, very abusive relationship, a very toxic relationship or people that had just come out of one? Yeah. So it's, it's pretty similar to sort of how it would be for anything, but I'll I'll give you an example. I worked with a woman uh, actually just last week who I've seen a couple of times we've worked on different issues, but this time she wanted to work on her reactions to any contact with her ex-husband with whom she needs to co-parent, right? So while she can get out of the marriage, she can't get out of the co-parenting, right? So, um, and each time she interacts, she, uh, you know, becomes incredibly anxious and has all the symptoms of anxiety, lump in the throat, not in the stomach, uh, shaky, trembling, you know, all the body responses, um, cause it's a trauma response. Right. And so we basically did that kind of rescripting where we had her imagine, you know, the conversation that had happened like the day before, cause in art, we usually want to talk about the worst incident, the first incident or the last incident. And so for her, she did the the last incident, what had happened like the day before, because it was most fresh in her mind. We could have worked on the first time he was, you know, abusive to her verbally and emotionally. And she just decided that her, we call it the director's scene. She wanted to see not that his behavior would change because we cannot change other people's behavior, but that she would do it differently. So she imagined herself, um, almost with like a protective shield around her. And she really saw herself in that. And she, um, you know, did kind of a power pose and in it and imagined that. And um, she imagined some friends coming to help her kind of kick his butt. Um, And again, these are not real wishes. They are fantasy. And so um, people can do whatever they want in their director scene because it's just fantasy. And they are very clear this isn't real or something they're going to act upon at all. Um, And she was laughing. She was smiling by the end. Whereas, you know, a minute before two minutes, whatever, 60 for sure. She was terrified in full blown, you know, freeze full blown. And by the end, she is walking taller, standing taller and feeling really strong in herself. That's amazing. I love hearing these stories. Um, one of the most challenging things that I seem to encounter with my clients is 
trauma bonding. It's um like, or a, a codependency or absolute dependency. You know, it's not that much. It's not any different really than addiction. How, how would this work with, with something like that, where they want to leave a relationship, but they are actually trauma bonded in it and they can't, mm-hmm. they keep trying, but they can't. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, this one I might do a little differently. So we also have a script that, again, works more with metaphor. So I might have the person think about what feelings come up around the dependency, right? Around, you know, the codependency and what sensations come up in their body. And they would, you know, tell me what sensations came up. It could be, you know, um, I feel like I'm flailing around desperate to hold on to the, you know, my partner, let's say, and I can feel my body uh, being frantic and flailing. We then have them actually put that into a metaphorical image. So, So they, with eye movements, they'd see what came to their mind. What picture does that sensation come up with? So um, what just came to my mind is they are drowning and gasping for air and reaching for someone's hand, right? That's a metaphorical image. So we would slowly work to um, move the sensations and then voluntarily we'd ask her, I'm using a, a female, we'd ask her to come up with a solution to that problem image. The problem is she's drowning and she can't get out. So we'd actually have her brain come up with a real solution. So she might look and say, I found a life preserver and I am going to grab the life preserver, put it on, and then I'm going to swim to shore. And with that, She's gotten rid of the person she's codependent with, you know, he or she is no longer in that scene and she's solved the problem. And then we would ask her to basically take the solution she came up with, which is to grab a life preserver and walk, you know, swim to shore. And we'd ask her to think about what solutions can her brain come up with that are similar. So she might say, well, in my life, my life preserver is really my mom. I think I'm going to call my mom more often instead of being codependent with this other person. Or I find that meditation really is a life preserver for me and I can be grounded and then not feel so desperate. And so we connect these two. So, and again, this is just a matter of preference. Does the person have like a strong scene that they see in their mind or repeat, or is it kind of a stuck feeling inside of them? 
And I do both. It really just depends. I usually wait for the metaphor script a little bit because that's a little bit less concrete. And I have to gauge whether how creative people are. Some people are just amazing. I had a a guy, I love this. He was coming in for just a lack of self-confidence just could not get confident enough to uh, try to write a book. He's been wanting to write a book. And he was picturing himself, you know, looking, un, you know, non-confident and kind of, you know, moping around and just feeling badly about himself. And in his director scene, he was one of the Beatles and it was Beatlemania. That's how confident he was. He was receiving all these accolades and people were dying to be, you know, around him and read his book. And again, you know, those shoulders, you know, got broader and, um, and he's had some success with moving forward, writing his book. Is there anything similar to like, do you measure this out? Like the subjective unit of discomfort or anything like that? Absolutely. Yes. No, that's exactly what we do. So at the beginning of the session, um, let's say someone is working on, you know, um, wanting to leave a toxic relationship. We would ask the person, the patient, you know, um, when you think about this problem, what feelings come to mind and we have kind of a list of feelings and they can add their own. And, you know, it's usually a lot of negative feelings, anxious, sad, fearful, ashamed, um, hopeless. And then they rate the intensity of those feelings as they're thinking about this sort of issue. And then at the end of the session, we then go back It is not uncommon for someone, 10 is, you know, the most intense feeling, zero is no feelings really at all, no, not intense or gone. It's not uncommon for someone to start at a nine and go down to a zero. I've never had a session where someone doesn't go down. I obviously have had sessions where, you know, people go down a lot and people go down a little bit. But again, I often will be able to tell that it's their their doubt and their skepticism that has them rating it. Because I watched the session. I saw them lose all the negative feelings. I saw them not be able to see the negative images anymore. But then when they rate it, they'll often say, well, I went down like three. And of course that's wonderful and that's fine. But in my mind, I know what I saw and, and I get it again. We don't believe things to be easy because this isn't easy stuff. And I think it's important to remember we're, I am not saying that this should take the place of other therapies, but it's a really good option, especially for trauma therapists, if they're not trained in EMDR, you know, or art, to say, hey, can you can you work with this patient for a couple sessions and, and just see where you get? And that's a lot of the referrals I get from psychiatrists whose patients are just really stuck. And I see them for a few times and then that's it. Same here. We we kind of look for the underlying cognition. A lot of times in leaving the um, tra- you know, a, like a trauma bond. A lot of times it's either I'm not good enough or um, I'll, I'll, some kind of abandonment issues. Does does the imagery 
in your experience translate to that as well? And if so, how? hundred percent. Yeah. And thank you for, for bringing me back to the point that I was forgetting, which is one of the main differences between EMDR and art is that, and again, please correct me if I'm wrong, but EMDR focuses more on thoughts and feelings, whereas art focuses a little bit more on images and sensations. I know you do sensations too, um, but it is a lot about that belief. And for art, it's it, it can often go to that um, for sure. And you know, what I also have found that's really fascinating is someone might come in with what happened the other day. I had a good example of this. There was a woman who um, was being stalked and she wanted to work on that. And we started the scene and the sensations weren't moving. They were not lessening. They were not getting better. And when that happens, we basically ask a very simple question, which is when, what is the earliest memory you have of feeling these sensations in your body? And she quickly went back to, you know, uh, a fearful incident where she was choking as a child, right? And um, that then led to, you know, other things that happened that were incredibly fearful where she felt in with the choking, her throat closing up and her main um, symptoms and sensations when she was being stalked were that her throat was closing up. So you are right. We are going to go often find that 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 nugget from childhood that is either a belief but usually the belief is based on something that happened maybe with a parent right i'm not worthy because i was you know uh told to you know be quiet and i couldn't cry they wouldn't you know wouldn't i was told to shut up if i was sad so that's the i'm not worthy of receiving love or being paid attention to so i absolutely think you know these these beliefs are fundamental and they pave the way you know um and sometimes not in very positive ways you ever find that the beliefs as being stored in the body do you do you notice or find correlations with the locations in the body? Like, for example, you said the choking, but I notice with so many of my clients that their throats will tighten up when some of the cognitions are, um, as it gets revealed later, they can't express themselves. They're not allowed to show emotions. So the throat closes up or the heart has something to do with love or the you know, lower part of the body has something to do with their actual belief about themselves. Do you see that too? I, I do. And um, the predominant way I see it is I, I work a lot with um, uh, people who've experienced sexual assault, rape, or, uh, you know, childhood sexual abuse. What do we see? We see a lot of pelvic pain, a lot of vaginal pain, a lot of leg pain. So absolutely, I see a correlation. And 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 yes, I mean, yes, uh, also with you know eating disorders. Um, you know, um, the I had a woman who had a uh, every time she'd interact with her mother, she would go and binge. So we worked on that scene and she went and saw her mother the next week and it was the first time she didn't binge. But we worked on, again, that kind of, you know, where do you feel empty? 
right? And what hole are you trying to fill? So of course the sensations were around not getting her needs met. And so she needed to go and get her needs met for love and safety and calm another way. And you talk about the sensations in the body. So it looks like as, you know, a therapist treating it, I don't know if you notice this too, but when we work through some of this stuff, it seems like this the sensations move upward and out. I don't, is that something that you um, witness as well? You know, I actually know that that isn't something I'm, I'm curious about it. I'll, I'll start paying attention more, but no, um, sometimes people have heat at the bottom of their feet. Um, and then they have, you know, <laughs> I have a guy and, and often for whatever reason, he's got a, he's got an itch in different places. And we usually try to get at the itch through eye movements. And the other day I said, you know, anything move or change, he goes, I think I might just actually have to scratch it. And I said, that makes sense. Um, but I haven't seen that. I haven't seen a pattern in how they leave. It seems like when it starts low, they they all they consistently talk about how okay it's moved up here, it's moved up here. Or do you track the movement of the sensations? Do you ever do that? Oh I, yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly. I mean, every time we have a set of eye movements where they're paying attention to the sensations, the next prompt is, has anything moved or changed? Um, and so I haven't ever seen it go down or up. It can jump. It. Um, I think what I really have found is that they often stay where they are, right? So, and sometimes I think people may maybe get overly fixated. Like I have a woman who has a fear of driving and she constantly just keeps talking about butterflies, butterflies. And it was really hard to move the butterflies. We had, we used tools. We had a, you know, a butterfly catcher come with a net. We, um, you know, took them and put them in a special garden, right? Because we come up with tools to um, get rid of the sensations. And and then I finally said, I wonder if we named butterflies something else. And we named it, um, it's funny, I can't even remember what we named it, but it was like a different sensation, like uh, palpitations or something. And then we had the heart metaphor. And so we were able to um, move them by saying, uh, let's look at a heart monitor together and let's turn down that heart, heart monitor. And then, you know, let's slow the heartbeat, see the numbers going down and do a set of eye movements. And then it was gone. So sometimes just by playing on the words, um, it can be helpful. And I don't know if you find this. I mean, one of the things that I find, you know, sort of sad almost initially is how disconnected people are from their bodies, right? I Sometimes I'll try to do art with some teenage boys and whew, that is challenging, because, you know, when you say what sensation do they have, do you have, they sort of look at you and go, nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are also a lot of people who, who have never been given permission to pay that close attention. It's never mattered what goes on in their body. So I will have to give, uh, examples, you know, someone I'll say, you know, what sensations do you have? And they'll say anxious and I'll say, well, well, that's a feeling. And where is that anxiety? Can you point to it? And, and I know you do this in EMDR. Does it have a texture? Does it have a color? We don't do it quite like that in art, but, but it's that same thing of 
you know, that's not a sensation. And, and, um, Yes, people have trouble naming feelings too, but it, underneath it, I mean, some people are so disconnected. And of course, you've got people who have history of trauma, toxic relationships, and they've spent much of their life dissociating. And now we're asking them to get back into their bodies. And that can be really terrifying. And I'm sure you see that all the time. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, that was another question I was thinking about what if it's just in their head. I've seen some people that have been so dissociated for years, they don't have any sensations in their body. They can barely even stay in the moment. What do you do with with that when they're so dissociated that they might they might be able to identify something in their head, but nowhere else? Mm-hmm. Um, well, then I usually like to make um, the thoughts into little bubbles, like, um, almost like, you know, like a cartoon. I actually have them see their thoughts in a sort of a cartoon and that becomes the scene is just their thoughts. Cause if they can't access the images or the sensations, we just work on that. And then we will rewrite the thought bubbles and we'll just try to meet them where they are. Now I do find that I'm able when people dissociate, they, it doesn't happen that usually somebody's come completely dissociated and stays that way. I've actually never had that happen, but when I do see them dissociate in the session, I usually just do a couple sets of eye movements where they are, you know, doing their tapping along with the eye movements, their feet, their hands. I use buzzers also. Maybe you do too. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I find usually it's really the feet. And then if that doesn't work, I stop art, we pause and I have them walk around the room and, you know, do the grounding technique of, you know, what are five things you see and four things, you know, and, and, and so far that's worked. Do you ever have any clients that um, bring in a spiritual component to this? Um, yes. What I usually see the spiritual component usually shows up in the director's scene and people will often have, um, God come to rescue them, an angel come, a spirit, you know, a spirit guide, um, as part of their director scene so that they'll incorporate that. I think it can be really challenging when um, I'm working with people who have suffered abuse from clergy. Um, That can be really complicated. And obviously, I have found actually that they their directors scene usually stays away from spirituality or religion. Um, So it's usually sort of not in those situations where I would see them wanting to kind of stay with that. But um, yeah, I mean, it does, it does happen where an angel will come or, or, you know, a, a deceased, you know, mother or father will come and, and help them and guide them. Yeah. I find the same thing. What, what advice would you have for someone who's just beginning their healing journey from toxic abuse? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the witnessing and the storytelling is is really the most important as, as step one and building trust, uh, it, you know, building trust with another human being who is not directly involved in your life is, can be really sacred and, and healing 
in and of itself. So I do believe that the therapeutic relationship is healing. You know, there is no expiration date on trauma work or healing, right? So there's no too soon, but most importantly, there is no too late. And you know that, and we know that from every lens, EMDR, art, mm-hmm. talk therapy, you name it. And I think what I would really, the most important piece that I think is that no healing from toxic relationships can occur without deep self-compassion, deep in your bones, feeling um, kindness and acceptance of yourself. And I 100% believe that that self-compassion has to go back to childhood. We have to nurture the child within each of us. You know, there's that idea that if we all went around interacting with each other and saw each other as, you know, little six-year-old kids, it would be, we would be so kind to each other because we have so much empathy for six-year-old children and for what they do and, you know, how they act out and how they screw things up. Um, and we really believe those people are fully deserving of love. And we have to believe that for ourselves first and foremost. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Is that part, is that, does that ever um, get integrated as part of the imagery in, um, in ART? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All the time, almost every session. Yes. I mean, the inner child work, I think, is, you know, mandatory for all healing. Um, And it absolutely, um, we do things like, you know, bring all of your earlier selves um, and have them rescue you. So that's a really important thing. Or your adult self needs to go back and stand up to the abusive stepfather. Um, she is going to save you and she's going to take your hand. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. I get emotional. It's so, it's so powerful, right? It's just so powerful. And, you know, we're going to do this together hand in hand, the little girl who was abused and the adult who says, I love you so deeply. And I am there for you when no one else was. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So important. What what do you hope that um, our listeners take away from this and how can they learn more about your work and services? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I, there are two things that I, I think are, are important. First of all, just because something is fast doesn't mean it's not effective. Um, and This does end up feeling like magic to people, and I see it every day. And what I just did two seconds ago is what I do in session. I fight back tears, and I do have goosebumps. Because when someone is healing in the moment in front of you, it is the most beautiful and sacred thing I have ever done in my life. 
and it brings me great joy. The idea that the brain and the body are what have to change and that interaction, whether you change the brain and change the body, I'm, you know, our EMDR is a lot about changing the body to change the brain, but those two systems become the most important, I believe, for long lasting change. We have to um, find those, create those new neural pathways to actually change our future behavior. And it's possible, but you got to get at it. You can't wait around. Um, And while talking and witnessing is really important, I do not believe it is everything to everyone. I would agree 100%. It sounds so similar in the bilateral stimulation that is some, you're saying communication between the right and left hemisphere. I don't know, maybe it's activating that amygdala where all the sensory and emotions are stored. I mean, I I don't think we truly know exactly what's going on, but it's definitely, and even in the name, accelerating that part of it. Yeah, and exactly. I mean, I think I, I, I sort of feel like it's probably a bunch of all the things right? A little amygdala, a little uh, REM and, you know, um, there's a lot going on, but it's, it's really exciting. Um, And in terms of accelerated resolution therapy, um, you know, people can find me at brookbraylove.com or um, on uh, Instagram or Facebook at brookbraylove psychotherapy. But I also really want to direct people to um, acceleratedresolutiontherapy.com. Um, you can learn more about art. You can hear testimonials. Um, Lainey Rosenzweig has a great TED talk. Um, so, and, and there's a listing of practitioners, um, I think predominantly in the U S and Canada, there are about 6,000 practitioners in the country. I'm sorry, uh, in the, in North America, I think every, everybody, you know, should try it. And, um, and I always say, I never ask people to stay for, you know, if they don't like it, that's okay. They tried something new. And I tell people the worst thing that happens is you spent one hour trying something new. That's it. Thank you so much for joining me. I, uh, you might have 6,001 because I'm going to look into that. It is worth it. It's just worth it. Yeah. You've absolutely, absolutely sparked my interest in this. I really can't even wait to delve more into it. Thank you so much for sharing your valuable insights and your experiences with me today and your perspectives on this. I, I really appreciate your time. And Thank I really you. appreciate all the information that you brought to this. Thank yeah, you so much. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Inner Source Healing Podcast. It is important to give yourself the self-compassion that you deserve. And remember that your feelings matter. If you want more information or if you want to contact me, please visit my website at www.innersourcetherapy.com.